0: Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm so thrilled for today's episode because I'm joined by my very good friend, Doug Crow, and his website is realbestseller.com and dougcrow.com. And Doug is a really, really fascinating guy. He travels around the world and uh, works in the self-publishing industry. He recently traveled to Antarctica, and he took his mom with him, and we had a chance to hang out in Bangkok recently. He interviewed me for his new podcast, Uh, I hung out with him and his son, Jack, and we had an amazing time. Amazing would be an understatement. So what Doug does is he helps people to become best-selling authors, he works with businesses to um, write books, to create books, and to use books as marketing tools, he knows a ton about social media marketing. He offers done-for-you social media marketing services for clients, and he picks up clients all around the globe. You know, he's working with clients here in Bangkok, where I currently am, Uh, and when he does ghostwriting services, he actually earns $20,000 per project, which uh, I've never earned. 20,000 for a project, so it's very aspirational and enviable. I wanna ask him how he does that. Uh, I wanna pick his brain about all his marketing knowledge and um, you know how he's able to get clients. He's an expert on uh, channels like LinkedIn, Facebook marketing. Uh, he calls, has a strategy called newsjacking for uh, getting traffic and getting leads, so I'm really excited for this interview. Uh, I have no idea how many countries he's been to now, but Doug's currently calling in from Phuket, Thailand, overlooking uh, his poolside villa. Uh, uh, excuse me, his his pool. <laughs> the pool in his villa. And um yeah, well Doug, after that very long introduction, I just want to say welcome. Thank you.
1: Wow, what an introduction, Danny. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> I'm very
1: honored, honored and humbled. Um and it's not my personal villa, I'm actually at somebody else's villa. One of the benefits of traveling, but sometimes I get to see my clients and they they treat different things, but yes it's a great day to thanks for having me on the show
0: you're a morning person i'm a evening person so i'm very jealous of your energy level right now but i know you're gonna kill it man so (laughs) it's always good to connect with you and um yeah maybe you know your track record is so long you've done so much you you have such a a background um can you tell me uh, can you walk me through your your backstory and you know just how did you end up here where you are
1: Wow. <clears throat> well, I was born a poor sharecropper, son. And, uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I graduated Northwestern University with a d- degree in radio, television, and film. Spent a little bit of time in the TV industry. Um, but I met a real estate investor whom you probably know, Robert Allen, um, at, a, at a studio shoot once. And I was so intrigued by what he had to say, I went up to him and said, hey, Mr. Allen, this uh, real estate investing sounds pretty cool. How do I do that? And he said, well, come to my high price seminar, young man. He did say "Hey, price. priced, but he did. It was like a $5,000 seminar, and I'm making $3.10 an hour at the time. So I couldn't afford his seminar, but he was, to his credit, he said, well, then go to the library and check out one of my books. So I did. Spent a year reading the book, thinking about real estate investing, and finally pulled the trigger and spent 20 years in that industry as an investor, as a developer, as a landlord, as a rehabber, did everything in real estate you can imagine I did. Even helped develop a private island in Belize. But during that time, I was riding high. I had a radio show on ABC in Chicago, and things were great. I had a small airplane. I flew around the country and down the Bahamas many times. And gosh, one day, 2008 happened, and I lost it all. And during my boohoo phase, which I call it, I wrote a book, and the book stunk, and I knew it. So I reached out to some of my previous guests, um, some A-listers you know, and they helped me create a basically entrepreneurial authorship which is much different than traditional authorship and so i've learned to love the spoken word and embedding the visuals with that word with my tv background and that's what i'm currently doing now is helping people bring their passions to life and more importantly monetize it in in multimedia formats primarily a book beyond period there you go
0: you said some interesting things, like uh, you developed a private island in Belize. That uh, struck my curiosity. Um, I really want to ask you, though, what happened in 2008, and then how did you uh, bounce back no. from that? What did you learn from that experience when you decided you, <sighs> you lost it all? Lost it
1: all is an understatement. I, um, I was, you know, voted most likely likely to succeed in high school and president of the class all that jazz. And everything I turned, everything I touched turned gold. I was very, very fortunate in my life. But 2008 was the, the big, you know, real estate crash and, and, and setback in the finance industry. And, you know, um, I was a, a victim, a subject, you know, I'm not a victim mentality, mind you, but I was a, a victim of my own ego that everything I touched turned to gold. And my real estate portfolio, which was, you know, m- multiple areas, I had 16 foreclosures, not just one. Uh, I had... Declared personal and professional bankruptcy Lost all my property, my home My marriage, my family My self-esteem, all my savings And my self-worth And it was uh, I wouldn't wish that kind of pain upon my worst enemy And uh, from that, those ashes though I sat and did a, you know, a cathartic writing of my book And enjoyed it uh, It helped pull me out of my spunk And uh, got me back on my feet And the book stunk So I learned how to make it better with some help from people like Robert Kiyosaki and Laura Langmire and people, other guests that were on my radio show offered me some really good advice on how to be an entrepreneurial author, not just a published author. And from there, I've learned to embrace that. And uh, man, writing and creating brands and books and messages for people is my passion. I just absolutely love it.
0: 16 foreclosures. That's really something. I can't imagine that. Yeah, well, it was actually, it's more than that. I actually counted. Let me think. It was whole,
1: su- whole subdivision sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, closer to closer to twenty. I'm sorry, sixteen was
0: one sub. One entire subdivision went
1: down the sewer in, in the Carolinas, my
0: I graduated university in 2009, and so I was kind of just starting out in the middle of all that uh, muck mm-hmm. and madness, you know. And that was really formative for me. You know, it really transformed my outlook quite a bit as far as. Uh, how I approach, you know, my career and how I approach my running my business, um, and you know, I, I felt just like you. Like I felt like, damn, I my self worth is so low because everyone, you know, if I try to apply for a job and there's like a, hundred, a thousand other people looking for the same job and it pays like you know nine dollars an hour, and I knew that I had to do something differently. I knew that like, okay, I'm I'm probably not going to follow the traditional path of employment. I'm going to be my own boss, and I'm going to have to make this work no matter what happens. And it seems like you kind of made a similar decision. Uh, did did you like lose? Were you, were you in debt? You know, did you lose all of your money? How did you like?
1: Yeah. How did you manage yeah. to
0: to start earning again? You know, because you said you wrote a bad book, mm-hmm. uh, so it probably mm-hmm. didn't sell very much. You know, when, when did you start to? <laughs> when did you turn start the off. turn the corner and start becoming financially <coughs> successful as, uh, on this path? What, I, what I'd like to say is
1: that I took a 20-year career, and it all went down the sewer in nine months, and I bounced back within, within a year, and everything was roses. That's what I'd like to say. The truth of the matter is, um, it takes time. And even though you read all the self-help books about, oh, you know, most millionaires have been broke 2.1 times in their life, that's not the same thing as experiencing it. So, um, yeah, starting to make money again, it was not easy, and not, not uh, it didn't go quickly. You know, it took years to get back to six-figure income again. Um, <clears throat> but like they do say that you know, a millionaire once the second time is always easier, and that is that is proving to be true. Um, with my you know millionaire lifestyle is what I should probably position that as, because so I, I live that the, kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm.
0: What were the key stepping stones uh, mm-hmm. when you bounced back? You know, that helped you to arrive at where you are.
1: You know, they change when I was when I was in it. I tried to push through, <clears throat> and what I've learned is that you really can't push things. You just have to let let it go. With pushing anything and let things flow the way they're supposed to go, so even though I wanted to like become a millionaire again in 12 months, that didn't happen. Nor did it take two years or three years. <clears throat> it takes time. So the first thing I had to do, stepping stone, was to not worry about it and just you know make ends meet. You know focus on those Maslow hierarchy of needs, make sure I could you know have food and water and shelter. And then from that point, um, I've always focused on my clients first and let the money come second. And that was step two, it's just like focusing on what I can do, what I can, how I can serve people better. And then step three, like you mentioned in my introduction, is like, you know, when you start out from bouncing back, you'll take anything. You know, I was doing uh, the same job do, jobs I do now, I would do it for 90% less when I started out. And then so step three would be to actually
0: yeah.
1: do a good job, get those case studies, and then charge what you're worth, not what you need.
0: I remember long ago when I was uh, in university and just like starting out my career and uh, the first website was it a website? No, the first time I did like SEO, it was for like local pizza restaurant and I was trying to like work a trade you know to get free pizza and stuff and I think I only got like a month of free pizza. so it wasn't like it <laughs> wasn't great. a year like I'd wanted, but it was really good pizza. Uh, so it was worth it. And you know the first time I did like a WordPress website, it was for like a nonprofit organization you know so it was just for free. Uh, but you learn so much, you know, just working for free like that. And you actually remind me of a quote that I heard from, uh, you know, Evan Pagan. He's he's a business uh, he's a business coach, and in one of his programs, he said to uh, learn to love getting the short end of the stick. He said it's very profitable for your clients, and it's also profitable for you. And I found that to be to be really true. You know, if I wanted to stand out, if I wanted to future proof. My, my first business, which was a digital advertising agency, I work with clients, um, was to offer a lot of value, give people things for free, you know, give them things that they don't expect to get for free. Uh, because it's worth it if you can build enough goodwill that they will retain your services. And, you know, once I'm able to retain them and they trust me, then, you know, then I can just go travel anywhere I want to. I don't have to worry about struggling to get new clients all the time. And, you know, when I started, I was going to the something similar to like a BNI group, like every week I had to wake up at 7 in the morning and I just like, you know, I don't want to keep doing this. Um, you know, there's people in that group that are like 70, 80 years old and it's like I'm, this is not going to be the next 60 years for me so, or sorry, next 50 years. And so um, I found that to be really, really important is to give people more than they're expecting. And, you know, if they could pay me $1,000, uh, give them $5,000 back in value if possible.
1: I love that. That's, that's a really good, you know, the old saying, uh under-promise and over-deliver is, is, still holds true. It's, it's a good one.
0: Yeah, I, I never, like, I don't know if I ever under promise, but um, I just want them to know that, you know, I'm here for them, and I think mm-hmm. communicating with them is also very important. So, uh, you know, Dan Kennedy says you should you should touch each client at least 50 times a year. So that's basically once per week. And then, you know, trying to touch them through different forms of media. So I used to send, you know, like letters, printed letters. I would send email reports. I would send uh, you know, gift cards and things on holidays, you know, remember mm-hmm. their birthdays, things like this. I would have like a spreadsheet with all their birthdays, holidays, I would do mail outs. Um, I can't really do that stuff anymore because I'm just you know so nomadic and whatnot. But um, it really works really well. You really strengthen that relationship. I think that's really key. Yep. Um, you know Joe Girard, he was like the, the top yeah. salesman in the world, mm-hmm. and you know that was one of his secrets, right? <clears throat> He would just mail out cards to everybody he knew. You know, like, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays from Joe Girard, I like you, I appreciate your business, you know, stuff like that. And he was the most successful car salesman uh, for more than 40 years
1: in the world. Yeah, well, it wasn't the cars, actually. The, 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 I mean, it was the cars, but the, I think the best lessons from Joe was actually the fact that he he focused, like, with a laser intention on those people. He knew not only their birthdays, but their kids' birthdays and where they went to school. I mean, he, he, he made... True friends with every single customer, and that's a, that's a lesson I think every entrepreneur should embrace. That's I go back to this whole idea of list building, and people always you know oh how big is your list I'm like I don't know, is that important? I, what's really important are the the conversation I had with my client yesterday because he shared with me this person he knew that could help me out or vice versa, and when you personalize those connections, man it, it makes it makes a big difference. I mean Seth Godin has said you can you can have a six figure business with a list of a thousand people. Provided they're engaged and they know you and all that, right? And people focus on these lists. I want to have fifty thousand, hundred thousand 100,000 people on my list. I ha- I'm friends with one of Evan Pagan's students, and she's got yep. one hundred ten thousand names on her list, but still, she only has probably personally met you know less than twenty, thirty of them. There's a lot so, of confusion
0: around lists because you know people think that you know lists are the goal of online marketing, but honestly. A customer list is a hundred times more valuable than uh, a newsletter or email list. You know, if you have a customer Absolutely. list, if you have a customer list of a thousand people, that's worth probably at least a million. You know, free subscribers, uh, because it's it's always way more difficult to get, you know, free people that you know subscribe to a newsletter to buy something than it is to get people who have already bought something to buy from you again. Yeah, you know, it's funny, in my in
1: my business, Danny, I um I keep doing my marketing. I love analyzing systems and you know doing social media marketing and, and connecting people. But when I go back and take a, a backwards look on my, my database, my clients, like 90% of them are from referrals. You know, so all the stuff that we do in social media and email and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, all these things are fun, they work, they're useful. But when you look back on all your clients, I mean in my in my case. 90% of my referrals. So the number one piece of marketing advice I have for anybody is do a good job. <laughs> you know, do, a, do a great job, and your business can take care of itself. I've got a client right now um, who's doing a book, and um, he's got uh, three restaurants in Louisiana. Super successful guy, does you know close, close to, um, close to um, nine figures. And he doesn't do any advertising. Not one ink, not one bit of advertising. All he does is he, he actually, when people make reservations, he finds out who they are, goes to a little social media stalking, greets them at the restaurant, and makes sure that they have the best experience of their life. Food is secondary. Food is actually third on his list. The most important thing to him is make sure they've got an experience, a memorable moment that transcends and goes way beyond dinner time. And he does that every single day with as many people as he can coming to that place. And I'm looking at that, and another, another client of mine, Steve Burnett, who's a famous, not famous, but he's a very successful painter, right? He paints houses. <laughs> but he sold the business off for, for well over a couple million dollars, and all he did was does uh, volunteer work, and uh, you know volunteers at the chamber, and teaches senior citizens how to use their, their cell phones. And from that, he built his entire business. And it's it's a really good thing to focus on individuals. And, and their their real pains, their needs, their families, their lives as a, as a I hate to use the word market even, but as a branding and, and business growth tool.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating. I'm thinking of, you know, I just had these light bulbs light up in my head, and um, you said it's about more than doing business. And I remember reading a report once that, um, I think it was radiologists, you know, when they're studying, uh, they're researching mm-hmm. for cancer or something like this. If they were shown... A photo of the patient before they actually did the report, you know, before they actually uh, did this thing, they found that they actually ended up writing better reports because they saw their patient as an actual human. like they saw the human side of their patient beyond just you know writing a diagnosis for them. Um, that's, so I, that's I always try to do that, you know, before I have like a consultation with someone. Before, um, you know, I start working with someone, I make sure to try to get to know them as a person. And it's really easy to do, like going through Facebook and I'll like some of their photos, you know, and try to know the human person behind who I'm doing business with. And that, like, subconsciously sets me up to, um, you know, do better business with them, to be more personable with them. And and one thing I noticed about you is everyone I talk to who you work with, like, they – they're not just your clients, like they think of you as like a good friend. You know, they, like uh, talking to Tanner, who you met, uh, who you work with here in Bangkok, and you just got that client from talking to his assistant in a coffee shop, and now you guys are working together, but he talks about you like you're a good friend of his, and that's really amazing. So what are yeah. some things that you do to, to stand out and develop these relationships so well? I'm a, I'm a, a
1: when I was a kid, I um, was fortunate enough to enroll in a Dale Carnegie course in human relations and public speaking. And, you know, it's been reiterated in many forms and many ways, but, you know, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People talks about, you know, give first or, you know, seek first to understand before being understood and, you know, leave with a smile. And it, comes, it becomes very important when it comes to connecting with influencers and um, building, building strong relationships above your, above your pay grade, right? Getting in touch with really powerful people. Um, you don't treat – you've got you to feel like you're an equal – but you also got to promote them. Most people will like, meet somebody successful or famous They go, oh, how can, how can that person help me? You know, it's like, dude, you know, that's just so, it's just like uh, stalking, creepy stuff. The best way to, to do what I've always done is I meet people and I always want to share their stuff. I always want to promote them. And I ask them, what can I do for you? If you give without expecting anything in return, it doesn't always come back right away from the same person, but you always get whatever you whatever you deserve
0: yeah that's really fascinating people are so focused on their own wants and needs that they don't even consider um, you know where another person is at and that's really uh, dangerous if you want to be self-employed if you want to be an entrepreneur you always got to be considering about what you can do for other people how you can give value to other people
1: yeah, but it's and not it's, a natural it's, instinct. It's, it's tough when you meet a billionaire, right? I've I've met like two billionaires in my life. Like, how can I mm-hmm. help this guy? What does he need? But you'd be surprised. You know, he may be connected to a foundation, or he may um, just need a uh, you know something outside of. People look at them like celebrities. Oh, you're a celebrity. Well, like you know, maybe don't talk to him like a celebrity. Um, my my restaurant friend met Lionel Richie. He came into his restaurant, and he said, "Hey, Lionel," he treated him as an equal. And Lionel said, hey, you're the first person to understand how to actually pronounce my name. And they just started chatting about music and stuff as, as equals, as friends. And he kept him at the restaurant until four in the morning, even though he had a concert the next day. So will that, will that connection pay off in the future? Who cares? He had fun. He made a connection. That, and that was the whole point of it. It wasn't trying to get something or even give something. It was just to connect and make a new friend, whether you're a famous uh, singer or you're a waitress at a, you know, at a bar. It doesn't matter.
0: You mentioned Dale Carnegie. You took a course. Is there a particular resource that you recommend?
1: Oh, yeah. I have read um, one book more than four or five times. And that is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Okay. Very fundamental stuff here, right? Smile, you know, ask about the other person. Don't give insincere flattery. There's, there's principles in this book which are difficult. I I trip up on them all the time, especially when raising kids. Mm -hmm. But when you embrace these principles of of really focusing on the other person from a sincere standpoint, you'll be amazed at how doors open up for you. A lot of new sales techniques talk about, oh, cut the crap, get to the point. And that's true in in big business meetings. But it does not negate the fact that you're always dealing with a human being and the most precious thing in their world is themselves, their name, their family, what's important to them. And when you take the spotlight off of you and what you want to sell or promote or, or do, and just ignore what you do, and don't even expect anything. Just focus on the other person. Doors will open up for you left and right for the rest of your life.
0: Fantastic. And is there like a few chapters from that book that you recommend more than anything that you took away the most from? Oh, my God. Well, <clears throat> the easiest one is a smile. Smile. Um,
1: smile. You got to smile. And I was trained uh, when I was selling cellular phones on um, doing that cold calling to smile as I'm as I'm speaking, because you can always sense on a call when someone's smiling or not. <laughs> and I was the only sales rep in our team that put a mirror on his desk to ensure that I was smiling when I spoke. And <clears throat> for that reason, and for one other reason, I was a number one, number two guy at the company. Maybe myself and my, my buddy were number one and two the whole three years we were there. And that was, we would, you know, take care of the customers and smile, and yeah, kind of become their friends. I mean, yeah, I, I, I remember... Half a dozen of them from nineties, they were great
0: people. This is why they say this is why everyone says Americans smile too much, because it's actually a strategy uh, from recommended by Dale Carnegie to sell more. <laughs> well, yeah, we're both we all understand Thailand culture where it's in their DNA they smile all the time. Call it land of smiles. <laughs> and it's not but
1: even a strategy, it's just how they are, right? <laughs> no, it's part of the way they are. But no, it's it's it makes you feel better. You can't actually be angry when you smile. There's a lot of psychology behind the muscles in your face and what that how that connects to your brain and your heart and your emotions. But when you smile, it's literally impossible to be a jerk, to be angry. You know, I could say some defamatory comment to you with anger. I could say the same comment with a smile, and you probably laugh. It's it's a magical yeah. thing to do. So smiling is one, but there's there's 17 principles or more in that book. I can't go through all of them, but yep. the easiest easiest one to do is a smile.
0: One, one author I also like also um, that I read a few years back was Leil Lowndes and she's written books like How to Connect with Anyone. And from her book, I learned things like, if you're writing an email, always use a positive subject line, you know, because that will anchor you to feelings of happiness. It's kind of like an online smile, basically um you know use positive messages things like this that are uplifting complimentary uh because then they welcome correspondence from you but if you use like a negative subject line like danger or refund or what's going on you know something that sounds angry then they're not going to want to open your email you know yeah <laughs> yeah interesting yeah so i i recommend her books as well um awesome so how many countries has it been for you now doug Oh my gosh. You know, I, I'm here with my client in Thailand. And I
1: asked him, he said he's been to 77. I haven't actually added them up. Um, I have, I'm sorry. I haven't done it. You know, it's 20 something. I don't know. The coolest thing was like, yeah, you mentioned it in my intro in January, I hit my seventh continent. So I've been in all seven continents now. And that was sort of fun, but i you know, I've, uh, I haven't added them up. I don't know. 20 or 30, something like
0: that. We can put it in the show notes if you want. Yeah, sure. So tell me, can you walk me through your business model here? Because I know that's where a lot of people get stuck. You know, I've got people asking me questions like, um, you know, like this lady emailed me a few days ago. And she said, Danny, can you explain the core of your business model? And I was like, "Hmm, I don't really know how to explain it to you because it's like I am the business model. And, um, you know, I've been working on building this platform. You know, I've been working on building Mm -hmm. my network, you know, building my reputation so that, Whenever I sell something, there's people that are interested.
1: You know, I'll answer that in a uh, in a way that's yeah. I can't remember if I do a short or long version, but I think we already covered what my business model is, and it's it's what you you know this personality brand of of serving first is my business model. I I like talking to people that like to talk to me, <laughs> and and that's that's pretty much it. And if you focus on the other person. Whether it's a restaurant like my friend Ruffin or whether it's a, a um, publishing business or marketing business or, heck, even Steve Burnett's you know, painting company. It does not matter what you do. Your core business model should be on just really focusing on each person one at a time individually with intent, with purpose, with passion, with compassion, without expecting anything in return. And when you do that, you can be a janitor and, and, and do well in life. It doesn't really matter. So my my business model is serving first, period. That's it. I guess that's a that's the long and the short version, all in one paragraph.
0: Well, Doug, you said before the call that you believe building an audience is more important than uh, writing a book. You know, building that platform. I had someone ask me yesterday, um, do I need to have a product first before I build my my network? And I'm like, no, definitely. You need to start networking. You need to build your audience first. And um, I think that model is actually the closest parallel I can draw to that is called the 1,000 true fans method um, by Chip Kelly. And it basically goes that if you have 1,000 true fans who know you, they love you, they respect you, they love what you give them, you know, they're going to be your customers for life. And then I've noticed that you know, people that I talk to, like on this podcast, James Schramko, Shonda Souza, They've been building their platform for like ten years, you know, and that's the reason why they're able to charge high prices for their products, and people glad, happily pay them.
1: That's very true. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I help people with their books, right? It's, it's been a passion of mine. I love writing. I love reading. And the most people, when they, uh, you know, people contact me, so I'm not ready to talk to you yet, Doug, because my book isn't done yet. And after my book is ready, then we'll talk about marketing and launching and branding it. And I, it's hard for me, because I oh, know it's easier it's sort of doing it backwards. Everybody thinks you, you write your best stuff and you promote it. But if you build your audience first, a bunch of things happen. Number one, let me just go through these real quickly for you. Number one, you might actually be, let's say you do like a, a Survey Monkey or you do a Facebook poll, whatever, you're testing these ideas out about your book. Well, what happens if you're wrong? What happens if you think strategy A is what people want to read, and they all say, no, I don't care about that. What I care about is this. Your audience helps you actually design the theme and, and, and solutions your book should have. So number one, they might actually make it better. Number two, they can help you with stories and content because people love to share their stories. And number three, once you've done that and you've actually pulled these people into your fold and, and work with them, you've got a, a, an ad hoc launch team. Um, my friend Robert Corey launched a book um, uh, feed a starving crowd a bunch of years, four years ago in Australia, I went to his book launch and man, the same thing. He's like, I, I talked about this book before I launched it. I had input from my clients, my audience, my fans, my followers. And when I launched it, I had hundred people that wanted to help promote it. And he did. He sent him a little box with a little Australian hat on there and the copy of the book and said, thank you for promoting this. And I'm doing one for Bob Burgum. And uh, yeah, we, we, you want to get people to and you don't want to ask. They want them to volunteer. You don't want to be, like I said, a nudge about it and go, oh, will you help me? You want them to, you know, volunteer. And that comes from engaging them and their needs and their story. We go back to phase one here. How do you get 100 people to promote your book? you got to promote them first. Authentically, sincerely, and more than just once. So, yeah, I mean, you can, you can do these things, guys. And by reverse engineering your book launch or your product launch, whatever it is, and getting audience input, feedback, stories, content, and solutions, it makes it so much easier. They'll tell you exactly what they want to buy, and they'll tell you how much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great model.
0: So what are some, can you share some of your favorite strategies for helping these authors and the business owners that you work with to build their audience and their platform online? Can you share some sure. of your, your yeah. favorite hacks with us? Yeah,
1: one of my, my favorite ones is... Um, uh, the old version of a press release uh, people talk about press releases and um, press releases are are pretty dull pieces of content you know Susie and Accounting got promoted today nobody cares about that but fresh news always ranks higher than anything else fresh news always ranks higher on the search engines than any other piece of content get that you can write that one down that's that's a stone cold fact now how do you get in the news well obviously unless you're a, you know a murderer or a criminal or a politician or maybe all three, you might not be in, in the news, but there are, there are experts and authors and authorities who get to comment on trending topics in the news. My favorite hack is to position my clients in a, inside of a trending topic. I'll give you a quick example. Um, one of my clients, Andrew Carlson, has a book on customer service as the bottom line. It's a book about customer service in the restaurant industry. Well, you know, when there's no news about restaurants, it's pretty hard to put this guy in the news. But um, I'm a slightly creative guy, so I, I was looking at stories about the food industry and found out that uh, Coca-Cola bottling, bottling plant in Ireland had, like, human feces in, in the in the pop. It was a disgusting story, but it trended in the news for about a week. And so it wasn't a number one story. It wasn't about, you know, global warming or the Trump. It, it was about a specific topic in his industry— But it was trending, so my news story was about that that specific event, and I positioned Andrew as the expert commentary on that story, and he got thousands and thousands of views on his on his uh, story. He's now speaking at conferences. His book went bestseller, I'm pretty sure. He does very very well, not just because of me, but I helped him by positioning him inside a story. I call it news jacking, where you hijack a trending story and uh, a trending news story, and insert your position, opinion, commentary inside of it. That's probably my, my favorite one that and, I do. And
0: how do, how do you do that? You, you find a trending story, and then you yeah. you, reach out the to, you reach out to a reporter and say, hey, I've got this client who's expert on this. He can comment on it?
1: Well, that's that's the, the second part. The first part's correct. The second part's more tricky. You know, if Reporters are busy, super busy, but also super lazy. What they generally do is they'll take other stories and um, repurpose them. So my job as a journalist is, I put my story out there. I get it syndicated to about 500 different networks, and sometimes it gets picked up, sometimes it doesn't. But it always gets shared and viewed by a large audience. I had one get picked up by Bloomberg last year, um, one MSN, uh, MSNBC, one by Yahoo Finance. It doesn't happen all the time, but you just got to put it out there and, and make it make it work. But issuing a press release is is just an SEO move. It doesn't really do a whole lot in terms of actual engagement. So. We use the press release system, but I always write actual hard or even soft news stories the way I do it. And I've got a whole, I've got a whole system for it. I, if anybody's interested in that, they can contact me at uh, Doug at DougCrow.com. I'm happy to share with them how I do that and if they want to hire me, I'm available.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, so, Doug, say that URL one more time. Mm. Doug. At DougCrow. Oh, your email address. Okay, yeah. 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 I, I just did a quick search on, on newsjacking, and it looks like there's mm-hmm. some interesting articles on there as well. Yep. I love To read yeah. up about that. Yep. That's good. Um, you also do some marketing with uh, LinkedIn and YouTube as well. Yeah. Um,
1: LinkedIn Tell people, me about that. I've got. I, yeah, LinkedIn has been really good for me the past year. I mean, like I think um, in December alone, I did like forty six grand just on LinkedIn. And again, I've got some good people helping me. Um, to you know, help my, build my profile up and make it more. I thought my profile was pretty good, so I hired this gal, and she made it like 10 times better. So that, that did help a lot. But what really makes it move, what really makes, makes people contact you is, is, again, same thing, I'm serving. I'll go into somebody else's article, and I'll give intelligent commentary, not just say, nice article, that's spam, but I'll actually read the article, say something interesting, perhaps ask a question, like and share it. And then I let it go and I never look at it again. And I will do that every single day with people that are, you know, they're targeted um, clients that I would like to have. And, you know, one out of 10, one out of 20, whatever it is, they'll come back. Who is this guy who commented on my article? When they see my little bio in the comment section, they see what I do because your LinkedIn profile should be SEO friendly. It shouldn't be a resume. It should be SEO-ish, right? So if you look at mine on LinkedIn, Doug Crow, you'll see how a profile should, should look. So I I go on there and I comment and I, and I offer advice or I ask questions mainly because a question is always has to be answered by the human brain or at least attempted to. So questions are probably the most powerful thing that we can do. So I'll do that on LinkedIn, um, every single day. Um, I go into some groups and engage there. That can be a a rabbit hole if you don't, if you don't set a timer for yourself, I could spend all day in there. So doing that effectively. And then of course my, my second favorite thing, has been working with you Mr. Flub because I started out with an Instagram account of 46 people and as of this recording we're at over 8,000 and uh, some leads are coming in from that almost every day so um, kudos to you and if you want to hire someone to do your build your Instagram account contact Danny because he's the guy that I use.
0: Well thank you Doug I really appreciate that yeah. <laughs> endorsement mm-hmm. and um, yeah you mentioned Instagram and you know we're almost at 10,000 with your account and Oh great once you get to ten thousand and you sign up for a business account, you can do a lot of things like uh, swipe up in your stories, right. yeah. um, and there's a lot of fun things you can do, like unlocking. You have to unlock certain content by registering, things like that. Uh, so, so really at the tip of the iceberg with that, and nice. I I love Instagram. I think it's a lot of fun, um, but I think that so what people need to remember, because you mentioned you know commenting and LinkedIn groups, and um, you know we talked about YouTube and things like this. The, the key thing to remember is that every single business grows from conversations. That's my strategy. And if you can facilitate those conversations, whether it's with a LinkedIn group, whether it's Instagram stories, whatever, YouTube videos, um, that's basically the heart of marketing. That's what marketing is. And you get those conversations, and then you lead them down a path, and then they end up becoming your client, or they become your customer, or whatever it might be. You know, maybe they're not a customer, but you know, they, they help you your business in some other way. Um, You need to be creating those conversations and you need to find the best way to do that. You know, a lot of people go on like Upwork or something and then they start applying for a bunch of jobs, but it's really competitive. But you shouldn't just go on a site like Upwork and ignore all of the other opportunities out there. You know, you need to start these conversations everywhere. Set a goal to, you know, my goal is to fail 200 times a day. So I have to make enough attempts, at least 200 attempts, you know, to fail 200 times. And I think that's really the key. Whatever you decide to do,
1: yeah, that's a great perspective. I've always been impressed by people who say that, and I'm even more impressed by people like you who actually do it, and, <laughs> w- you know, with intention. I'm going to go out and fail today, but I mean, that's as long as you're, you know, learning from it. It does make sense. So
0: yeah, and I don't think, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm writing 200 comments in groups every year or something like that. If, if I can automate some of it, you know, whether it's, it's outreach, you know, sending mm-hmm. messages, um, that makes my life so much easier. I have to work nearly as hard.
1: Yeah, no, the 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 automated outreach that, you know, you and I do, that's got some benefits to it. But when it comes to commenting on on articles and stuff, I mean, on LinkedIn, I I find it because I, like I said, I'm I'm targeting higher target, you know, higher price programs here, you know, 10 to 20K for a client. So it's worth it to me. I don't do 200 a day. I'll probably do 10 or 15 articles a day. I'll go and read and comment on it the most. Um, And that takes time because you actually have to read and you have to say something that shows that you read it. You know that's really super important. I, I when I started, I would make comments by looking at the headline and skimming it, and that doesn't work as well. When you actually read it and have something to say, they know you've read it, and that type of investment of time doesn't pay off right away. It doesn't pay off on each one, yeah. but one out of five, one out of ten uh, for a high-ticket item like I do. I mean, it was it was great return on investment. I did it, you know last uh, last year with a client, and one comment on this attorney's
0: article it turned into a twenty thousand dollar client. So that took a, about five minutes. Yeah, tell me about yeah. that, Doug, because you're, you say that once you get someone on the phone, you're, you're very good at closing people. You mentioned before to me that you're really good at uh, sales psychology, understanding psychology of sales. Uh, how does it look like when you have someone on a call, and how do you close a $20,000 project? Uh, just like you eat an elephant, one
1: bite at a time. You know, that's going to that's gonna, that's gonna go very, very slowly, unless they're ready. You know, I've had some they are they're, they're ready right now. And they wire the money, we're off to the races. But in this attorney's case, he has some questions. There were two partners with him, and he said we're thinking about doing a book. I'm like happy to help you. And technically, the I mean I'm, I'm I'm not a young guy, right? I was I was you know born in 1960, so I, I probably cut my teeth on the 80s style of of Grant Cardone selling, you know. But I don't do that. I'm I'm like you mentioned, I make friends, I offer advice. I give them ideas, I listen, and I say, man, that's, or maybe you don't need me. I mean, I'm very, very truthful with what I say and how I say it, but I rarely, if ever, ask for the sale. It's, that's like, when I, once you ask, you know, they're gonna push back. You gotta lead them like, hey, well, there's some things we could do here. If you're interested, let me know. But I can't say that first. I have to help, you know, build value and, and do that by listening more than talking.
0: You have a number of like presentations and things that you give. Like, can you tell me about those presentations? Like, uh, do, you, do you use these in your sales process? <laughs> I used to. I, it's all intuitive now, but I used to. Um, Sam Ovens is a, is a
1: coach's consultant. He's got some very good material that I've, I've seen. Um, the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends, is the best one, guys. I mean, I'm telling you, if you don't focus on the sale and just focus on the person, the sale will come. That's probably what I do most of all. Is I just focus on that person and what they're interested in and, and sensing their energy, if they're excited or if they're like, you know, ticked off. Or, you know, I've, I've had some clients that have blown a lot of money with other people who do what I do. For example, one gal hired, hired somebody and spent like five grand and she got nothing for it. So she was very reluctant to hire me. So I said, you know what I'm going to do for you? We're going to do something sort of special. I'm going to customize our program for you, I'm going I'm to work with you. This is my guarantee, right? I can't guarantee any output because that's against, you know, FTC stuff. But I'm going to guarantee you, you will recoup your investment with me. And my guarantee is I'll work with you until we do. So my unlimited coaching is less a lifetime. But for her, I'm like, Hey, we're going to keep working together actively on the phone once a week, building your business, getting your book out there, you know, getting sales for you until you've earned your investment back. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to also work with you until you get your other investment back, that person who took you for five grand, we're going to keep working until you recoup that as well. Her pain, her reluctance was she had just blown five grand. She went to blow another 20 with somebody else. So my only assurance to her was, well, we'll just keep working until you recoup it all. And it's like, ah, that makes sense. Let's do it. So, you know, it's, 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 and it's, that's, that takes some guts. You got to be able to perform. That's why I go back to my first way of marketing is, you know, do a good job, right? Do good work. And you don't have to worry about too much.
0: So your your strategy is more focusing less on yourself and what you offer, and just thinking about how you can help them.
1: Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent.
0: Do you ever get like um, have issues where you might send a, a proposal to someone and then they kind of just disappear, or they disappear after a consultation? Uh, do you, happens all happens all the time. Is that one of that's a frustration, isn't
1: it? Not at all. <laughs> no no here's one thing i've learned and i I've, I've suffered from this i'm not i'm not perfect at this but i know this for a fact volume cures everything mm. when having, you have only more options a, yeah when you only have a few mm. prospects i'm gonna hound them and follow up screw that i'm sorry if i've got a lot of people in the pipeline you follow up with me i don't follow up with you if you want me you can get me i had a guy and i had to man i'd follow up with him i told him <laughs> last month i said this sounds great i'd love to help you out but he was a little bit he was a little bit wishy-washy. I said, quite frankly, I can't, you, you couldn't hurt me right now if you try because I'm sort of filled up. I'm booked up for the rest of the month. I can't even I can't even look at your stuff right now. Here's my proposal. But and he's like, oh, okay. Well, then we'll talk next month. I said, yeah, give me a call next month. So it's it's not and it's not sales technique like oh, takeaway. It was real. And darn it, if you ever do this fake takeaway stuff or this false scarcity, I'm gonna. Post negative stuff for you online. Just joking, I won't do that. But, it's, people are smart nowadays. Don't say this, You know this, I only have 12 downloads available. It's digital, shut up. It's real, you can give as many as you want. So, real scarcity works really, really well. False scarcity makes you look like a jerk. <laughs> Sorry.
0: You know, one, one tactic I like to use personally uh, that I learned a while ago, it's called the lost sale close. So it's, it's like if you don't hear back from them or, you know, something happened, you send a proposal and they were really interested and then suddenly they're not, um, I always just ask for feedback. I say, you know, hey, um, it seemed like we could do some good for you, but could you, you know, I hadn't heard from you back from you, so could you tell me the reason why? I, I just, I feel like I might have done something wrong. Could you let me know? And mm-hmm. that's actually a really easy way to kind of get them to turn around and say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I've been busy with uh, – uh, my kid's birthday or whatever, but um, you can start that conversation over
1: again. Yeah, you're helping them focus. The yeah. problem wasn't you; the problem was them. Yeah, and you're, you're, you're proving your worth by saying maybe, you know, maybe you lost it, maybe you missed. You know, letting them save face, or get refocused on the big, big picture. You yeah. know, one of the closing techniques, if you like to use those terms, is, is is focusing on the big picture, but not talking about what you do, but talking about their pain, and how they'd like to solve it. You let people talk themselves into. Your solution is the best way because whenever you're talking, they're looking for a reason to say no. Whenever they're talking, they can't argue with themselves. So the questions you ask and the way you lead them is a 100 times more powerful than your quote-unquote presentation.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. Asking good questions is really key because we're so inundated by bad, boring questions. But if you can ask, you know, like like if you go to the register at the clerk, you know, the supermarket or something, like, did you find everything okay? You know, yeah, like great. we're just we're so bombarded by these bad questions. And <laughs> if you can ask like really, really good questions. I think that's really critical. Um, yeah, here's, here's here's a couple. Here's
1: a couple I can give your audience right away. Okay. Okay. So you're talking about your solution, whatever it is, whether you're going to be a consultant, selling a product, but all right, so what's it going to mean to you to get this thing solved, right? What's going to, what's going to happen for you when this is fixed? Well, what happens, I'll have more money. Okay, great. What will that do for you and your family? Well, I've always wanted to take my wife on a vacation and, uh, well, where would you guys go? Don't just stop with that first question. Keep going down that rabbit hole and you get them to talk, talk, talk about what they want with that, what's going to mean to them. And what you're getting to is the emotional reason for your solution. And we all know people buy an emotion, right? So you let them talk. They're never going to argue with themselves.
0: You're so you painting get them to a pleasing
1: picture in their mind. It's like... Um, they're painting a picture in their mind. Yeah. You're asking the question. Critical difference. They're painting their own picture, of, and they're saying, yeah, I do want to go to Fiji. Wow, what would
0: that be like for you? <laughs> right? Very clever. So, anyway, and, and you mentioned you're, you're a fan of Bob Berg. He calls those feel-good questions where... Um, you ask them a question, it makes them feel good, and you're kind of like asking them, what does your ideal life look like, you know, and how can I help mm-hmm. you realize that?
1: So exactly. once, once yeah. they
0: get into that state of mind, then they're much more likely to pull a trigger and look at you as a person who can help them get there. Right, and you can also, you, can also, you know, book in that, and I'm not going to talk
1: about the, where they go in the, in the sequence, but you can also say, what's going to happen if you don't do this? Or why, haven't, why hasn't this happened for you so far? Why do you need me? Why why can't you do everything is available online? Right? There's no knowledge anymore. It so says you just search, your stuff, my stuff. Just go search for it. Why do you need me? Well, because and they're going to tell you the reason. Well, it's too confusing, or I don't trust, whatever it is. So there's a reason people buy information, even though all information is free.
0: Well, thank you, Doug. I know that you're. Yeah. Um, we're running tight on time here, and you have sure. to work with your client down there in Phuket. Could yeah. you tell me, you know, wh- what's next for you? Where do you see yourself going in 2018? What does your ideal life look like? Wow. It's so funny you should mention that, Danny, because, you know, you and I have been digital nomads for a while. I'm not sure I
1: even like that term because I'm not herding sheep. I, I Googled what nomad meant. But um, I, I've been traveling now for, man, many, many years, and I enjoy it. I love it. But I'm actually thinking about getting a place and the problem with, with traveling so much is I don't know where I would get one. <laughs> There's so many places I'd like to have a little farm or a condo or a house somewhere. So It's so hard I'm to settle getting, down again. Right, right. So I, I told my one of my mentors, he said, you know, I don't know where to go. And he says, who said you had to get one? I'm like, bingo, that's the answer I was looking for. So I'm looking mm-hmm. for two or three places. I'm not sure how that will all fall. Um, but that's probably the next step for me. Doug, have and you then heard of this
0: guy, uh, Steve Areen? no A-R-E-E-N you can google him he actually built a his dream home in Thailand and I think it cost uh-huh. him the total cost was $9,000 wow it's uh, wow. Steve Areen uh, okay, Steve A-R-E-E-N dot com okay I'll look up thanks yeah and uh-huh. I have another friend who bought a half acre in uh, Lombok Indonesia for like three uh-huh. grand and he's nice. gonna build a home there so right wow beautiful maybe that well, might so yeah
1: it's, it's between between the uh, you know the, the housing thing is a new thing for me and then I want to I want to help I want to help more authors more people become best selling authors. Um, that's a really important thing. There are a lot of people. This is the thing I, I'll end with this, Danny. There are a lot of people with really good, super interesting stories and content and ideas to share, and they are lost. They are in this ocean of garbage, right? Called self publishing industry where there's a bunch of crap out there, and for them to rise up to bestseller status, to building that larger um, influence and authority. Take some take some work and some and some partnerships. You can't do it by yourself. So I would tell your audience that if you're looking to to, to make a difference and to make an impact, um, I'd be happy to have a conversation with them. They can go to Doug at DougCrow.com. Drop me a line. We can set up a quick uh, exploratory call. See if I can help or not.
0: Yeah, that's your email, Doug at DougCrow.com, and uh, yeah. your website Yeah, put and put, in the, su- su- and, and put in the subject line
1: um, uh, Danny Flood or Open World Mag or whatever you want. <laughs> No, just so I know, because it, it might go to spam if I don't have a subject line there. It's good.
0: Okay, and you also yes. have a website, realbestseller.com and dougcrow.com. And uh, huh? also, you're on Instagram, of course. We can see yes, all of your I fun am. travel photos. If you want to uh-huh. get inspired, uh, <laughs> this guy is definitely living life here. Uh, the lifestyle design. Lifestyle. <laughs> don't just don't know my lifestyle. So, Thanks. Doug, thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you, and uh, have a great day down there.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate your time.
0: Take care.
1: Bye-bye.